And I tried to moderate and make all the rules, like I'll only drink two times a week. I'll drink beer, not wine. I'll only drink when I'm out. I'll only drink when I'm home. I mean, you name it, I tried it, except for stopping. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hi, Casey. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this episode with me. I am super excited to get to know you better. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here too. Yeah. Why don't we start with, for everybody listening, just tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I am a life and sobriety coach. I have a podcast called the Hello Someday podcast for sober, curious women. I primarily work with working moms who also kind of do all the things and then come home and drink to sort of zone out from all the things or stop their racing minds. I stopped drinking seven and a half years ago. For a couple years, I just wanted it to be part of my life. I didn't want it to be the thing. In my life, I was working at a Fortune 500 company. I had two kids. I was, you know, just living life without the headaches and the hangovers and everything else. And then I went back to coaching school. And again, I wasn't intending to be a sobriety coach. Um, I was just wanting to be a life coach for pretty much every woman I knew who was 40 and had done all the things you were supposed to do to have a good life and looked up and was like, why aren't I happy? Mm. Um, Every woman I knew at my corporate company. So what was your journey? Like, when did you realize that you had a problem that was bigger than just putting it down and leaving it alone? Like where you realized that you were going to need some sort of additional support? Yeah. I had been worried about my drinking for a while, right? I always knew I was a big drinker. I loved it. I didn't drink in high school and I was sort of the hyper vigilant, super responsible person. And then I got to college and I joined the women's rugby team, which is like a crash course in binge drinking and figured out that getting drunk turned off all of those worries in my mind, right? And so I would drink heavily and then be brutally hungover. And then after I graduated college, it just still became my main way of coping and not stressing out. I would drink before going on business trips, like to not worry about it, which was terrible because I was brutally hungover. I would drink before job interviews the night before. Um, My dad got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer when I was 21. Um, That was kind of a way that I stopped worrying about it. And so I would, I would drink, I would throw up when in my twenties for like sometimes hours on the bathroom floor, Mm. just throwing up bile and sweating and My mom was like, maybe you need to reevaluate your relationship with alcohol. And I I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a funny punchline at the time, but it definitely stuck with me. So I always drank. I was sort of a 365 nights a year drinker, you know, 
always open the bottle of wine with dinner, always have a cocktail when you went out. And then I started having the 3 a.m. wake-ups and just off the charts anxiety. And for a while, I was oblivious. I thought it was, I need to go to therapy and get anti-anxiety meds and anti-depression meds. And they gave me um, sleep medications, which then I was drinking a bottle of wine a night and taking Ambien, which is oh my gosh, so dangerous. So dangerous. Yes. And then I wasn't oblivious anymore. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like when I knew and I tried to moderate and make all the rules, like I'll only drink two times a week. I'll drink beer, not wine. I'll only drink when I'm out. I'll only drink when I'm home. I mean, you name it. I tried it except for stopping. And then I was like, oh, dear God, I might have a real problem. I read Drinking a Love Story by Carolyn Knapp. And, you know, just when she, the way she writes about drinking and the relationship and how much she loved it, I was just like, yikes, this is me. I, I sort of wrote myself a letter saying I have a serious problem with alcohol when my son was like six months old. And then I came back three days later and was like, just kidding, no problem with alcohol. I mean, I was like rationalizing to myself to yourself, on paper. Right. Yeah, I like so it. I, I like how you were just letting your journal know that you were just oh kidding. yeah like just kidding nothing to see here just no problem you know just in case like um, yeah it was so funny uh, so I worried about it when he was six months old I took my first like serious attempts to stop go to therapy with someone who dealt with addiction joined an online group of people who. We're trying to quit drinking. And a girl from that group took me to my first AA meeting when I was when he was five years old. So six months to five years of trying desperately to moderate. Um, when he was five, my first, you know, attempts to really be like, okay, I stopped for four months. I got pregnant with my daughter amazingly felt better. Life got better because I didn't drink for a year. I was like, wow, I'm fixed. Like it was situational, the right. issue, right? Like now I can moderate. Um, went back to drinking with the intention to just, you know, what we all say, like just on a date night, special occasion, decently quickly, I was back to a bottle of wine a night or more. The whole time I knew it was an issue. I knew too much. Like yeah. after you've done some recovery, every hangover, every fuzzy memory, every anxiety attack. So it took me 22 months to stop again for good. Um, the whole time I was writing myself letters being like, I need to stop drinking. This is going to mess up my life. Um but then when I did stop the second time, I ended up hiring a sober coach, which helped me so much. I'm sure it's why I became one. But that was my last day one, the day I reached out to my coach. And I didn't know it was going to be, but I just kept stacking days in front of each other. And I also knew how hard it was to get started and I knew that it would take me to that low place. Like I just burned my hand on that stove enough that I could no longer say it's my job or my husband, or I knew it was the alcohol that was bringing me to that mm -hmm. point. What did your first year of sobriety look like? You know, like what did you do different? How was your life different in your first year? 
most of my life stayed exactly the same. Same job, same husband, same kids, uh, same friends. What I did do was I took it incrementally while knowing I didn't want to go back. So I did not focus on forever. Um, I did not spend a lot of time debating whether I was an alcoholic or I had a serious issue with drinking. I just said, okay, I'm going for 100 days alcohol free. I was unable to make it to day four before then. So this was like the biggest goal I could imagine. And I told everyone in my life that I was going 100 days alcohol free as a health challenge. I drank every single night. There was not a single person who was going to not notice that I was like ordering something else. So I told my workout group and my work colleagues and my husband and my friends and literally anyone. I told my husband that I needed to get all the wine out of the house. He still drinks. He drinks beer, but seven and a half years later, we've never had wine staying in our house. People bring it and take it away. And I told him to please not bring me wine home when, you know, if I had a stressful day, he knew that's what made me happy and that it was going to be really hard for me. But I was serious. So I had my coach. I had my online group. That got me through my first 60 days. At 60 days alcohol-free, I joined sort of an online coaching program with a group that that helped me with even more people, even more knowledge, even more support. At four months, I had a major anxiety panic attack. And that was sort of the breaking point because I really felt like I couldn't cope. I was, you know, jumping out of my skin. It felt like I could barely move through the day. Turns out I had an undiagnosed mood disorder. Go figure. I never would have figured that out if I wasn't sober, Mm -hmm. like never. But I went to my doctor and said, basically, I can't go back to drinking and I cannot feel this way. So you have to help me. And she did. I got a great EMDR therapist. I got on some medication. I made it through that and then kept adding supports till I felt like I was balanced and solid. And you know, 100 days felt so much better. I went for 180. At 180, I said, okay, I'm going for a year. And at a year, I said, okay, I think I'm done. I'm done drinking, you know? Yeah, nice. Did you have to say no to a lot of events or gatherings, things like that, that normally you would have said yes to? Like, were you declining things? Pool parties, barbecues, holidays, there are so many things. Um, Were you still partaking in those situations or did you sit out a little bit? I definitely sat out a little bit. I pretty much didn't go out to a drinking space, like a dinner or a date night for my first month. I remember um, my husband got promoted at his work. And one of his best friends who works with him said, we're taking him out to this special restaurant, his wife and me and my husband. And I was terrified. I mean, I called my coach and I was just like, I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out. And so she kind of held my hand and coached me through it. And it, you know, why this was like, what am I going to say to her? What am I going to order? How miserable am I going to be? It was okay, you know, it was it was fine. I did have to like really think through date nights with my husband. Um, because I was like, he would be like, let's go to this Italian restaurant. 
and I'd be like deer in the headlights or to this brewery. And I'd be like, oh, babe, I'm still doing my no alcohol challenge. Why don't we go to this coffee shop with live music or like, let's go have a picnic near the water or to a movie in a bookstore. I mean, I started doing walks and yoga and brunch with girlfriends instead of happy hours and dinners. And slowly that integrated back in, but I had to shift things. I didn't want to self-sabotage. hundred percent. Yes. Were you a person that really struggled with the terminology? Like, I don't know if you call yourself alcoholic or not. Like I've been sober so long, there weren't options. Right. And to me, being an alcoholic is just being an alcoholic because that's just the bottom line truth of it all. But did you struggle with the terminology? I definitely did. Like the first time when I tried to stop drinking 10 years ago, there was also not a lot out there. I mean, it was sort of like AA or I don't know what. There wasn't a lot out there. You're exactly right. And I look at people now and I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys are so freaking lucky because I had nothing. Like podcasts were not a thing. There were like five books that people had written, but you could only find them in the sober bookstore in Los Angeles. They weren't in like the big bookstores. You know, like it was such a different world. Like we had no options. And I love- How long have you been sober? Um, 17 years. And I love AA, you know, but I just didn't have any hangups. It's like my desire to not drink was so enormous. I absolutely didn't care what you told me to do. You know, I don't care what room you told me to go sit in or who else was in that room. I was going because I was not drinking. I was very high functioning. I had a beautiful life, but I was a hardcore daily drinker and I drank a lot. I mean, I was hardcore and my rock bottom moment was hardcore. You almost, I crashed my car, almost killed somebody. So my motivation to quit was so high. It just didn't matter to me, right? I had Mm -hmm. zero fight left. I don't care what you want to call me, (laughs) what label you want to put on it. I don't care what room you tell me to go sit in and I don't care who else is in the room. Like I have to not drink period. Yeah. Yeah. I did have a lot of hangups. I definitely did. I just say I used to drink a lot. I loved it. I quit drinking. I feel so much better. By the way, alcohol is highly addictive. It is an incredibly hard habit to break and it's progressive. And, you know, I think anyone with enough exposure to alcohol is going to go down the road of being physically, mentally, emotionally addicted to it. The AA program, it was definitely my first foray into meeting anyone who struggled with alcohol and quit drinking. I didn't know a single person and... The people I met were incredibly welcoming and kind. Some of the ideas to this day, they help me. I'm always like, all right, just do the next right thing. And, you know, uh, what other people think of me is none of my business and some of that stuff. Uh, I personally, um, I am not religious at all. I know it's spiritual, not religious. I'm not religious at all. And that was one of my little weird things when I was going to AA was that I really had to reconcile in my head, right? I was 33 and a half when I got sober and I had to have that conversation with myself. It's like, Angela, 
you're grown. Nobody can make you do anything. Nobody's going to force you to go to church. You know how to say no. You know what I mean? Like, but I had to remind myself that I had free will. (laughs) Like you're welcome to not do the things you don't want to do. Yeah. And so I didn't have a huge bottom. No one told me I needed to stop drinking. My husband, the week before I stopped, was suggesting I join my favorite wine club. So he said, so you don't have to go buy a couple of bottles of wine a couple of times a week. And I was like, are listen to yourself. Like, cause I was so worried about my issue, but he was the last person I would ever tell. Um, yeah. yeah. So I just feel incredibly lucky for me personally that I found a coach who just was like, drinking doesn't suit you. You don't need to drink. You're happier without it. You're a boozer. You have no off switch in your brain, you know, all of that stuff just for me and the incremental approach of like, don't think about forever um, helped me a ton. I remember talking to my coach on day 16 and I was like, here's what I'm worried about. I'm going to Venice with my mother and my sister. I mean, you name triggers. Plus I was a red wine girl. I was like Italy. And she was like, when is that trip? And I was like, four months from now. And she was just like, let's talk about that in three and a half months. <laughs> You're right. Just, you know, don't future trip or whatever. And it, that did help me. But I was just like, I don't know if I can quit drinking. I have this trip in four months, which is so normal. You know? Yeah, so normal. I don't even really think about forever even yeah. now. You know what I mean? Like, do I ever want to drink again? No. Yeah. I hope I stay really diligent in my game and working on myself to make sure that I don't have a desire to drink, but it just has so little to do with drinking anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like it's all the other stuff. It's my self-respect. Like I don't want to lose that. I like liking me. It took me a really long time to become a person that I like. And I owe all of that to my sobriety. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that if it wasn't for my sobriety. I wouldn't have ever had the tools or the teachers to help me grow up and evolve into who I am today if it wasn't for being an alcoholic, right? So I have an addicted brain, mm-hmm. regardless of what you want to call it. You know, yeah. if you have to quit drinking or quit using drugs, you have an addicted brain. And I think it's interesting too that people a lot of people are really comfortable with the word addiction, but not comfortable with the word alcoholic. I feel like the word alcoholic makes it a you problem, meaning you, the individual, have lost your privileges because you can't handle this substance that like everyone else can enjoy and it's a great thing, but you're one of the few unfortunate people who can't. A you problem as opposed to a we as a society problem. The way that we normalize binge drinking, we normalize consuming a highly addictive substance on the regular that causes seven kinds of cancer and hurts your heart and your brain. I mean, there's no argument anymore that any amount of alcohol is good for you. Now, people do stuff all the time that's not good for you. But I, I personally think it's clear that alcohol is an addictive substance, but I, you stop smoking, you don't carry that around as an identity for the rest of your life. Like you said, I have zero intention of ever drinking again. I know where it will take me. I know it's an addictive substance that if I drink, I will very, very quickly become addicted to, and it's incredibly hard to stop. And it's, will take me 
you know, when I was drinking, I felt doomed. Yes. I think it's so intriguing too, though, how all the different experiences that we have shape all of those perspectives, you know? And for me, I never thought of it like, like I had a problem, to be honest. I never thought of it as a negative thing. And when I got sober, there was a lot of really great neuroscience coming out where there were some pretty big issues that had yeah. been theories that were actually being proven at that time, right, in my first year. So there were all of these articles and things constantly about the brain and, and the brain and addiction and the wiring of it all and how yes. it works. And that is my jam. I am obsessed with the brain. And Mm -hmm. so for me, even from really early on and being so consumed in that literature, it was the first time I think I felt like it wasn't my fault, right? It's the first time I felt like I wasn't just fucked up beyond repair. Like Mm -hmm. I understood that there are a lot of things at play that really don't have anything to do with me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's part of it too, where I never thought of it as a bad thing or something I did wrong or a weakness or I couldn't handle it. It's like, dude, I was primed for this from birth. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got all the trauma I've got, I've got the, the wiring in the brains. My, both sides of my family are full of addiction and mental health. Like I was mm-hmm. primed for this before I ever came out of the womb, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah. even if my path had been different, because I used to play with this thought too, like, cause I was a bartender uh, for 20 years. And I thought, well, if I wasn't a bartender, would I still have ended up an alcoholic? And I'm like, well, yeah, it would have, the journey would have just been different, right? Yeah. It would have been at happy hour <laughs> instead of yes. at work, you know, yeah. it just would have looked a little differently, but thank you for having the conversation with me because I love hearing how other people view this stuff. In my opinion, whatever helps you wrap around yeah, your brain yeah. to be like, yep, I don't mess with that anymore, full stop at all. Yeah, I would much rather you put your energy into figuring out how to feel better and figuring out how to heal and move forward, you know, than than figuring out what label you're going to call yourself. It's like, you know, like nobody cares about the word. I just want you to be well. You know, the same thing I say about 12 steps, like, I don't care if you don't want to go to AA, don't go. Yeah. But do something. I just want you to do something to be on that path and feeling better and healing yourself to be proud of yourself Mm -hmm. because that's the greatest gift sobriety has ever given me. Yeah, I completely agree. Had I not gotten to the point where I was like, I got to stop, like this is bad, I never would have realized how little I was settling for in life. I can't believe I lived that way once I got some distance, that the highlight of my day was opening the bottle of wine or that all the emotions I had of frustration and being irritated and terrible boundaries and just not liking my job. I would just knock myself unconscious the minute I walked in the door. I was settling for like the dregs of the coffee and calling that good. Yeah. I had no idea how unhealthy I was. Yeah. Right? Like how unhealthy my thinking was and and how I maneuvered life and relationships and all those things. Like I, ha- I always say, it's funny, but I had no idea how broken my thinking was because it's the only thinking I ever had, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? It wasn't until I learned better and became better that I could look back and go, oh, wow, 
I was yeah. even a way bigger mess than I imagined. <laughs> you know? Well, and so one of my clients said to me on day 22, and it was my, she said, oh, my husband asked me, how are you doing with this not drinking thing? And she said, well, waking up, not hating myself is pretty awesome. And I was like, that is what it is. You know, like just, I would wake up and just immediately be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Get your you know, shit together, all, whatever it was, like just the amount of self-hatred and berating myself and like not living that way is pretty great. Yeah. Gosh, I can relate to that so much. I woke up every day with dread. Yes. I was so mad that I was alive because I just really thought that one day I would go to sleep and not wake up. And that's really what I wanted. I mean, that's what I was like praying for because it was so dreadful to have to face another day. And every morning when I would wake up and I would realize I was still alive, it was like heartbreaking. It's like, oh my God, I have to do this again? You know, like, oh, it's horrible. You just feel trapped and doomed. And I feel like no matter how different our lives are, the emotions we feel when we're in that place are so similar. My go-to thought when anything would happen was I want to shoot myself you know, a new project would come down the line at work and my boss was being unreasonable. And I'd be like, I want to shoot myself or wake up in the middle of the night. I'm like, that is not a normal thought pattern to have. You know, I don't think that anymore. I think, oh God, how am I going to handle this? This is unreasonable. Where can I push back? But you know, And thank God you have the belief in yourself now that you know you can deal with it, right? Because that was a huge part of it too is not – I think we don't trust ourselves, right? Like I couldn't – that was the embarrassing thing to me. Like I wasn't embarrassed about being an alcoholic. That didn't bother me. I was embarrassed that I couldn't handle my life. Mm-hmm. I was embarrassed that I couldn't face anything. I couldn't get through anything without drinking myself to oblivion, right? Like I had to run and hide and drown and numb. Yeah. I mean, I felt like I couldn't cope with life and I was wondering why everyone else could. Yes. Um, like, why can I not cope with life? And then, you know, you stop drinking and not everything is solved, but my anxiety got like 60% better. My nervous system was not always shot to hell. I was no longer losing three hours every night where I could barely remember the shows I watched and like basically going through each day feeling ill, you know, like no wonder I couldn't cope with life and everything felt overwhelming. Yeah. It's crazy to think about that life now. And for me, it was bars, you know, again, because I was a bartender. So even on nights I wasn't working, it was still going out in bars and I sit and think about it now. And I'm like, oh my God, like I literally wasted a decade of my life sitting in bars, like doing nothing. Well, and you're probably terrified that if you stop drinking, what will I do? How will I have fun? I won't, I'll be boring. I was afraid I wouldn't be funny anymore. That yeah. was that was the one thing, but I didn't hang on to that too long because I was a bartender. And so like the first few hours of my shifts, like I wasn't drinking and I was still like entertaining everybody. So I kind of reminded myself like, no, like you're here all the time, like having fun with customers and like, no, you're funny. It's okay. You'll be okay. <laughs> was it hard? It must have been hard to be at a bar serving alcohol and not drinking. Honestly, it was not hard at all. 
And I'll tell you, I think that is for a couple of reasons. One, because in Los Angeles, I had always been exposed to sober bartenders, sober cocktail servers. So I think in my head, it was almost more like the natural progression. I just had this exposure to sober people. So it just didn't seem weird to me. I also didn't really go crazy with drinking until I was about 30 and I moved to Kansas City, which is where my family is, where I was raised. The transition was really hard. I did not handle it well. So I ended up getting sober in Kansas City, but I had really great support. Everybody like supported, like my regular customers were bringing me cupcakes to celebrate my months of sobriety. And, you know, so I was really lucky in that way too. But like I would watch people have drinks and start getting silly. And it just reinforced for me that that's not the behavior I want. Like, thank God I don't ever have to behave like that anymore. Right. And we all know how it is when you get drunk and, you know, you make an ass of yourself, which I did as a profession, it feels like. (laughs) Yeah, I did too. (laughs) I mean, and what's funny is when people in early sobriety are like, God, drunk people are really annoying. And I'm like, yes, they are. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what it was. Really, it was motivation for me. You know, I just really utilized it as motivation. And I also always thought, you know, if I was going to drink again, it wouldn't matter what room I was standing in. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand the accessibility of being behind the bar. Like, I get that. But I just was done drinking. And I could, if I was going to relapse, I could have just as easily done it on a night off that I wasn't anywhere near a bar, you know, or I could have gone to a bar, gone and gotten drinks. Like, it just, whatever room I was in wasn't going to make the difference between a relapse or not relapse. Yeah. Yeah. And if everybody knows that you're not drinking and why it makes it a lot harder to like do that slow shuffle back into like, oh, just kidding. No big deal. Like write in your journal, nothing to see here, move along. I mean, now it's humorous to me, but remembering that stuff does give me a lot of empathy for people who are in that place. Like this is scary, Yeah, you know, until you experience. And once you do it, you realize it's not the biggest deal in the world and you're a lot happier and more proud of yourself. But when you're in that drinking cycle, it's scary. For sure. And I didn't, I never relapsed like once I quit drinking, but I definitely did the roller coaster a couple of times, right? Like once I quit for 30 days, once I quit for 60 days, neither time with the intention of quitting. Both times it was like, oh, I'm taking a break. I just got to step back. I mean, you know, we all say the same stuff, but Mm -hmm. I held it pretty close and quiet. Like because I crashed my car, people weren't surprised that I wasn't drinking for a minute. You know, Mm -hmm. like everybody expected me to take a break because it's pretty dramatic. But I think I was about two weeks in when I realized like, yeah, I'm good. I'm not drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Again, period. This is a new part of my life. Were you mandated to go to like a alcohol program or anything like that? I had to do a couple of things. Um, I was not ever mandated to go to AA. I did. I had to do like what they call a victim panel where it's like mothers against drunk drivers. You know, they have speakers. Um, I had to do that. And I had to do a couple of classes, like outpatient classes. But it wasn't until because I was already in some legal trouble before I finally quit. So I had a a very eventful last year. (laughs) 
But I'm also not a huge fan of people being court ordered, like to go to meetings and stuff, especially as a person that has a lot of respect for the the rooms of 12 steps. Yeah. And and listen, I, there are plenty of things about the program that I don't like too. But, you know, there is a sanctity of that space and a safety of that space yeah. that deserves a lot of respect. And when courts order people to go there, it really is an invasion of the privacy of those of us who take it really seriously. Yeah. You know, and who want to be there. Yeah. And who want to protect it. Yeah. Because those people right. also aren't going to be where I don't have any anonymity, but there are a lot of other people in those rooms that have a lot of anonymity, right? For their kids' sake, for their job's sake. And people that are court ordered to be there, they just aren't going to respect those tenants the way that we are, you know, because they don't yeah. even understand them. So, yeah, I think it's kind of crappy. I get it that for the longest time that was the only option, but it's also not really our responsibility as a recovery community to try to make other people's decisions for them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, Casey, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with me. It's been such a joy to get to know you and I'm going to go on your podcast too. So yes. that'll be exciting. I love the topic we're going to talk about on my podcast, which is the three phrases mm -hmm. of relapse and sort of how to prevent it and how to recognize it. And I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time. Oh, I told you that you. when I reached out. I love your podcast. So thank you for doing everything you thank do. Thank you. I just love that this community is getting so much bigger because that just means more people will be able to get help. I will definitely link um, your podcast in the show notes so everybody can get there right from their podcast app. What about social media? Like where do you yeah. point people? Yeah. Um, the best place, honestly, is my podcast, the Hello Someday podcast. I am on Instagram at Casey M. Davidson as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Casey. Yeah, thank you. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.